Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We just trust the Lord to bless his word to us this evening. In Luke 15, we all know the, par- the parable of the prodigal son. In verse 22, it said, But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And so we see the prodigal son here returning home. And we see his father bestowing gifts upon him, welcoming him back into the family. He put on a robe. And you know, as we see when we look at Joseph, this represented the robe of reconciliation. The boy and his dad were once again reconciled. But it also represents for us the righteousness of Christ wherewith we are clothed. And therefore, through the robe of reconciliation, we tonight are reconciled to God Matthew Henry, he said that the robe stands for honor. Jacob gave Joseph a robe, his choicest son, and it shows that we are the choicest of God when we are clothed with his righteousness. Then he gave the boy a ring. And again, Matthew Henry, he said, the earnestness of the spirit is the ring on his hand to be before him and others who see, who see it as a constant reminder of his father's kindness that he may never forget it. The ring stands for authority. If a man give a ring to someone, it was the same as giving him the power of eternity, attorney, and to act as his agent or to represent. And you know, back in the them days, biblical days and historic history days, when a king uh, sent someone an ambassador or uh, someone on his behalf, he would have given him a ring. And on that ring would have been the seal of the king's authority, which they would have known that he was there on behalf of the king. Lastly, he gave him shoes, sandals for his feet, and these represent a son as opposed to a slave. When he lived as a slave, he now was to live as a son, for the children of the family wore shoes and slaves did not. There's an old uh, slave stream and an old uh, slave spiritual song, and it says, when all God's children got shoes, and this is what they're talking about. Shoes were the sign of freedom. Ephesians 5, in fact, tells us, that shoes are for the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so this was a beautiful thing that his father did for this child, this reconciliation. And again, there was no, well, if you live with us for a while, if you work with me for a while, if you do this, if you do that, the father accepted him with open arms and not only accepted him with open arms, but bestowed on him this robe they bestowed on him this ring, bestowed on him the shoes to show everyone that he was again part of the family. He was no longer a stranger. He was part of the family. And tonight I want to concentrate on the ring of reconciliation. It is said that on these rings there was eight jewels. And Paul presents for us in our reading eight jewels which we receive when the Lord comes into our hearts. And it's interesting when, uh, if you study Bible numerology, uh, have you ever looked at the word, or the number eight, sorry? Number eight means it's in contrast of the old with the new. It's contrasting the old with the new. It's a great study, and you should try it yourself 
uh, if you've concordance, look up how many times it says eight in the Bible and look at it from the context of its contrasting the old with the new. And the contrast here and the significance in Bible numerology of eight uh, diamonds in this ring was there was now a contrast between where the boy was and where he is now. So we are told in Romans 5 in our reading tonight, verses 1 to 5, we are told these eight precious jewels which we have when the Lord comes into our lives. We have peace, we have access, we have joy, we can glory in trial, we have patience, we have experience, we have hope, and we have love. So the first one you see there is peace, and you all know it's the word shalom, which means completeness, wholeness, peace, health, welfare, safety, tranquility, prosperity, rest, and harmony. It also means the absence, and again, uh, we're contrasting here, the absence of agitation or discord, but unfortunately not the absence of war. The Greek, and I'm not an expert in pronouncing these, a word is irene, and it's a state of quietness and calmness, an absence of strife, and a perfect well-being. And that comes from the Lord, because Jesus himself said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This peace is different than the peace that the world can offer. This is a legacy, as it were, and it's bequeathed to us, uh, and it is God's peace. Because he died on the cross, that peace uh, was bequeathed to us as a peace with God. And that's it, you know, I remember, I think I did, probably did tell you before. I was down Belfast City Centre and these Buddhists were there and they were telling me how I could find peace and how I would never trouble again. And I told them that the peace that we have is a peace from God and that peace will see us through the troubles that will come our way. That peace will see us through trials that will come our way and it'll help us and strengthen us. Because it's not as the world gives peace. The world's concerns are for material things in the body, the here and now. But Christ's gift to the church enriches for eternity. We have that peace. At the end of the day, no matter what happens in the world, we know that we will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. So his peace, when we trust in him, fills our lives. It enriches our lives. When we have peace with God, nothing else matters and we'll see in a moment, we can face different things. This inner peace, it's rooted in the peace that uh, Jesus makes between sinners and God. And what a wonderful thing to have peace between uh, being a sinner and God, being able to just come into his presence and feel that presence and know that you're not banned from that presence because of your sin. Through Jesus, we no longer fear, but we rejoice tonight in God's love and God's forgiveness. In Philippians 4, verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I've seen many Christians who have gone through horrendous things, and yet there's a peace there. And there's a peace which passes all understanding. I've said it before, I've been at the deathbed of the saints of God, and the peace, it's, you can actually touch it, as it were. Such a peace and unfortunately, I've been at the deathbed of those who know not God, and it's completely different. There's a fear is there of the unknown, a fear of what's going to happen, and yet God's people, even at their sort of ebb tide days or hours, there's just a peace in their heart to know that God is with them. 
So we have that peace. Then Paul tells us we have access. This means introduction, free admission into the presence of a superior. And what this signifies for us is the free communication which we have with God in prayer, which Jesus has obtained for us. Think of a church. We have access tonight into the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I guarantee you if you got a, a letter in the morning inviting you to meet King Charles, you'd be on the first plane over, all excited and happy. And yet the King of all kings, we can just come right into his presence. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a high priest who alone had access into the Holy of Holies and the once a year sacrifice for the sins of the nation. But because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that middle wall of partition has been taken down. The veil has been torn in two. That veil which separated man from the very presence of God has been taken down. And now tonight we can enter into his presence. We can give God our praise. We can make our petitions as we have done. And we can make them known unto him. I always think of Esther. Esther wanted to go into the king and speak on behalf of her people. And we know how they were planning to wipe out all the Jews. And so Esther stood at the entrance of the king's court. And what she was doing, she was putting her life in danger. No one was allowed, without exception, to approach the king without him first backing them. No one could come into his presence without his personal invitation. And yet when the king saw Esther, he held out the golden scepter, which meant that she was allowed to come in to talk to him. Tonight we have the golden scepter reached out to us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the price, who cleared our debt of sin, and now we can be in God's presence. It's wonderful to think, church, when the Lord looks at us, you know, he doesn't see what the world sees. He sees us clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and therefore he holds out this golden scepter. Thank God this evening for this access that we have. Then we have joy. This is the word chara, to rejoice, cause, or matter of joy, gladness of heart. Peter speaking in 1 Peter 1 and 8, he said, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. When's the last time we actually rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory? This joy is like the Hebrew word gale, which I've described many times. It's been so overcome with joy that you can't contain it. David did it as he danced before the ark and Michal, Saul's daughter, looked out on him and blasted him for letting himself down. But David couldn't help himself. He was so overcome that he danced before the Lord with joy. He was so overcome with the presence of God being back amongst the children of Israel. So we have the peace which passes all understanding. And now we have joy inexpressible. You know, that joy and its expression, there's no words can express the joy that we feel or that we should feel when we come into the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, church, for me, nothing else matters. There's a lot of things going on which can take my mind. There's a lot of things going on which can take my concern. But when I come into the presence of God, I put that behind me and worship God. And he gives us that peace. He gives us that joy, which is inexpressible. This joy is rejoicing. Is a complete antithesis of, uh, that's hard to say when your mouth's dry, complete opposite of mourning. It's a persuasive, irresistible joy. And you know something? It's contagious. That joy in the Lord that we have is contagious. Do you ever go into a room? I remember going in, uh, it was actually my grandchildren, 
into a room, they were watching TV and they were laughing. I haven't a clue what they were laughing about, but I couldn't help laughing. I don't know what I was laughing at. It was contagious. And that joy, when people come into the presence of the Lord, especially if they've never made a commitment to the Lord, and God's people are rejoicing and full of joy, uh, full of peace, that is contagious. They, they feel that presence. They call it the anointing. There's many people who have said to me, it's just a different feeling in this church. And you explain to them, that's the anointing and the presence of God with his people when they are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. The psalmist, he said, in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand pleasures forevermore. Think about what the, the psalmist was saying. In thy presence, there's fullness of joy. Lord, nothing else matters in comparison to the joy we feel when we are in the house of the Lord. That's why the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. That's why he said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. It was joy inexpressible. You see, the world is joy, and some of us have tasted that. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say I didn't enjoy sometimes in the world. But you know something that was temporal? It was temporal. There are things which satisfy us and bring joy, but they all fade away. But Jesus Christ, in him, joy is eternal. Joy is eternal. We sang it tonight. We've been singing it this morning and tonight, and it's been in my head all day. We are redeemed. We are set free, and we are forgiven. We are now under the Lord's divine care, and we thank God for this joy tonight. Joy unspeakable, inexpressible, which fadeth not away. And that joy, really, we can say we have it, but we will show we have it whenever we are in uh, trials or tribulations. In verse 3, it tells us we glory in tribulation. You know, James, our Lord's, well, they say he's his half-brother, but whatever way you want to describe him, we know Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus was born. And James, I think it's in James 1, verse 2, it says, when these diverse temptations, different Translations put different words in there, diverse troubles, diverse trials. In other words, he's saying when, tr- when trouble comes your way, he's not saying trouble will never come your way. When trouble comes your way, he's talking about being joyful in the Lord. And we can do this because we have God's peace in our lives. We have access into the Holy of Holies and we have joy unspeakable. Do you know something? God watches over you. That beautiful verse in Psalm 121. The eye, the, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. God watches over us all the time. Psalm 37, 25 talks about this. I have been young and now I am old. I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging, begging bread. Nothing will overtake you. Now he didn't say nothing will come against you. I said, nothing will overtake you when you trust in the Lord. You will get trials, church. People you know and yourself, you will get sick. And you will face times where Satan will try to discourage you. But nothing will overtake you when you trust in the Lord. There's nothing that you cannot bear if you trust in God because he will intercede. Trials, tribulations, you know something? They can build spiritual strength. And we can learn to trust in him. Some of the things that we come through in life, when we look at them, they actually build our faith. We're like gold being tried in the fire. And when we come through this trial, it makes us stronger. It makes us trust God. It helps our faith grow. 
I think it was Felgate was saying to me this morning about, you know, when we come through things like this, it also helps us to, to share the goodness, the glory, the peace, the joy inexpressible, the access that we have with others. When you come through a, a, a terrible situation or a trial, even at your darkest hour, even if you're at wit's end corner, there is glory in your trial because Jesus himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, like a parent, when your children are growing up, bad things happen to them. If only more parents today would let their children know the world doesn't build around them. But what you try, you don't want, you, you want to interfere, you, but again, you want to let them go through it themselves. Not in a bad way, and I'm talking, but there's things that they just have to learn to deal with themselves if you want them to build character. And I believe God does that. We want them to take it away. Lord, take this away. I'm losing sleep over this. I'm losing peace over this. Do you know something? God is just saying, trust in me. We want them to get a duster and wipe the board. But you know something? He's telling us, if you come through it, you will learn to trust me more. If you come through it, you'll have a testimony of God's power in your life. No matter what you're going through, church, glory in your trial. Be like me, Betty Fleming. Every time she trips or falls, she says, praise the Lord. <laughs> so I think we all need to adopt that, don't we? Keep your head up. Let his peace and joy fill your life as you call in the precious name of Jesus. As I said, glory in trial builds our next one, patience. This is a hard one to say. I'll have a go at it. Makroth o miha. And it's from macro, meaning long, and thumus, meaning temper. It means lenience, forbearance, endurance, and long-suffering. It's, <coughs> it's the ability to endure persecution and ill-treatment. A person who has the ability to respond, but instead exercises restraint. I think that's a great uh, description of the Bible's definition of patience. A person who has the ability to respond but instead exercises restraint. It's a quality, uh, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's amazing, you know, when you look at these things, how each of these gifts from God, they complement one another. They commend to one another. They, they, they help one another. It's because we have peace. It's because we have access. It's because we have joy. We can glory in trials. And because we can glory in trials, then we can learn patience and build patience. <clears throat> you know, it was once said, patience is a steel hardened by the fire, for patience does us more good than trials can do us harm. Amen, it's not good. I'll read that for you again. It was once said, patience is a steel hardened by the fire, for patience does us more good than trials can do us harm. In the world, tribulations worketh impatience and anger, but in Christ it worketh patience, because we can also learn from our experience. Sorry. Give me a minute. <coughs> there we go. I forgot my water. But there we go. Hallelujah. He took the hint. Took <laughs> In Christ that work with patience because we can also learn from our experience. Do you know something? I always tell people, experience is life's greatest teacher. But it's a good teacher if you learn from it. Something positive. But it can be a negative teacher if you don't learn from it. Because experience, in a sense, it's reflective. It must either be experience itself or the fact that one has proved himself true. Our experiences are for us <coughs> to prove to the Lord. 
how much we trust him. Romans 5 and 4, we read there, thank you, Dan. Uh, Romans 5 and 4 talks about this and talks about how we get sure trust in God. It's also translated character, and I think that's good. Experience, because it builds character. It builds character, the experience that we go through. It's knowledge gained by trial or practice. And when we glory in our trial, we build, as I've said, spiritual character. When we glory in our trial, we build spiritual character. If we don't glory in our trial, then Satan can overcome us and discourage us, and we looked at that last week. But we as children of God, we can turn evil around. We can turn what the, uh, the song we sing says, what the enemy meant for evil, he'll, do it, he'll turn it for our good. We can turn evil around. In character, we can become strong enough to deal with whatever comes against us. We can use these experiences also to strengthen one another. There's nothing, as again, Felgen and I were talking about this morning, there's nothing more helpful, as it were, when you're in a situation, when someone comes along and says, look, I've been there. I have the T-shirt. Because then you know that they know exactly what you're going through. And we can take bad moments even in our lives. And we can say to people, you know, I've been there. You know, people, especially the unsaved, they kind of look at Christians as if nothing ever happened to them and everything's great for them. But, you know, we are like all human beings. We have our moments but we can testify to God's goodness. The best person to help you deal with a problem is someone who has been there. And when you go through these things, and I've found things I've went through, they've given me the experience then that when someone tells me I'm going through A, B, C, D, to know how they're feeling, to know exactly, instead of guessing, uh, to just say to them, I've been there, A, B, C, D, or whatever, and you can talk to them. And as humanity, the wonderful thing is Jesus experienced a lot more than you and I could ever bear. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He wasn't a, well, he was a superman in the sense that he was God manifest in flesh, but he was human also. And as humanity, he experienced a lot. He suffered hunger. He suffered thirst. He suffered pain. He suffered rejection. He suffered loneliness. He knows all this. He even suffered mourning. We know that. So therefore... We can trust in him that he's been there and he knows what we can go through. He knows our character. He can help us become stronger and we can use our experiences to his honor and glory. We'll go on then. Uh, in verse five, it says we have hope. And this is Elpis. And it's hope, but it's not in the sense of an optimistic look or wishful thinking without any foundation, but it's in a confident expectation a confident expectation built on solid certainty. Now, I wish I'd have thought that up. That's very good, but I didn't. Hope is an extension of faith. Faith is a present possession. Hope is confidence in God's grace and future accomplishment. Our hope is solid. It's certainty tonight. Not wishing that maybe someday, somehow, some way, all will be well. But we are that, Paul says we are not as those who have no hope. And I like that because he's speaking to a church where many of them are being martyred. And he says, we're not as those who have no hope. 
we have a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an assurance tonight that God is with us. We have an assurance tonight that God watches over us. We have an assurance tonight that he didn't just save, save us to leave us. He saved us to bring us through everything. And most of all, he's coming back and we shall reign with him. Lastly, we have love. And obviously, you all know this word has been preached many a time, agape. And this is an undefeatable benevolence, unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good of the other person. So no matter what they do, this is a self-giving love that gives freely without seeking remuneration. You know, people in the world will do things for you, but they'll be looking at something in return. But you know what Christ did for us? All he wants is us to turn to him, to believe in him. This unconditional love that God has for the world we are loved with it. The Bible says we are loved with an everlasting love. A love, an infinite love that knows no limits. And a love that just brought God down to earth and let him die on the cross for our sins. He loved us. We read this many times and we quote it sometimes when we pray. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. First John three sixteen. it says, By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. Again, John 15. It's actually 34, it's not 134. I don't know what it did there. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. And of course, that wonderful end in Romans 8. Uh, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So again, church, we have peace, unlimited access to him. We have the joy of the Lord, being glory in trials and tribulations, which worketh patience in us to help us in our experiences and gives us an assurance of a hope in God, in a God who loves us and a God who died for us. You know, <clears throat> I said eight is the number of contrasting the old with the new. If we go back to the start there, And this is the eight diamonds or eight jewels that were on this ring. And outside of Christ, we didn't have peace. Outside of Christ, we didn't have access. Outside of Christ, we had only a temporal joy. Uh, we, 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 we drank from the broken cisterns, as it were. Outside of Christ, we were unable to glory in trial. Outside of Christ, we had no patience. Outside of Christ, the experiences were all negative because, again, we didn't have the hope which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And most of all, we have the love of Christ in our lives. These eight things, uh, you know, if you look at it from the, the, the aspect of the prodigal son, he didn't have peace. He had lost contact with his dad. He didn't have access. He had no joy. He was as miserable as miserable could be. And you know, the funny thing, I was just reading a good article on the prodigal son, and this a uh, pastor said that there's a thing people don't uh, remember or don't quote very often from this story, but actually where the boy was, it was a famine. So it wasn't just that he was eating with the pigs. No one was eating. They were all, as it were, it was in a place where there was no hope. <clears throat> he was unable to glory in his trials. The trials he was going through, he wasn't glorying in them. He was feeling sorry for himself. He was saying things are only going to get worse. He, the patience had gone. The experience was a totally negative experience. The only good thing was it made him remember his father and go home. He had no hope. 
because he didn't know what way his father would have accepted him, but he found love. Where he had no love, he found love because his father accepted him. And we find love tonight when God gives us that ring of reconciliation and we are reconciled to the Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask David and Karen to come back. Mark, let's stand.